Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode, I am very excited to feature artist, activist, existentialist, and photographer Carrie Mae Weems. Her images are powerful, her words are thought-provoking. Carrie is considered one of the most influential contemporary American artists. She is known for her award-winning photographs, films, and videos that have been displayed in over 50 exhibitions in the United States and abroad and focus on serious issues that face African Americans today, such as sexism, racism, politics, and personal identity. Carrie has earned several awards, grants, and fellowships from prestigious organizations that include a MacArthur Genius Grant, the BET Honors Award for Visual Art, Anonymous Was a Woman Award, the W.E.B. DeBose Award from Harvard University, and Carrie was named a Ford Foundation Art of Change Fellow, just to name a few. During our interview, we briefly discussed three women artists, all exceptional women who were the first to accomplish astounding things and should be recognized. Links will be included on the Cerebral Women website for more information about them, as well as additional information about Carrie Mae Weems. My last comment, Carrie seduces the mind. Enjoy the experience. Carrie, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast today. I'm delighted to have you. Absolutely delighted. Well, thank you for inviting me. How are you doing these days? I'm fine. That's good. That's I'm good. Fine. I'd like to go outside a little bit more. I'd like to see my friends a little bit more. I'd like to be in New York City just a little bit more. But, right. uh, but otherwise, I'm fine. You know, I mean, I think that, you know, this extraordinary moment in which we find ourselves gives us an opportunity to think about new ways of, 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 of being, Mm -hmm. of interacting and considering what's important. And so, um, so I, I, I hope that I'm, uh, my, my, my hope is that I'm using the time wisely. Yeah, I'm sure you are. I mean, you're talking to me, so that's wise. (laughs) (laughs) I'm teasing, I'm teasing. So so let's start with you sharing with us what inspired your your creativity, your your want to be an artist. What inspired my creativity to be an artist? Mm. Like, were you, what age approximately? Was there a particular photographer or work of art? No, you know... I've been an existentialist since the very beginning. 
you know, since my some of my earliest memories. I think I, I, I knew very early, probably by the time I was seven or eight, wow. that I was deeply interested in, in the expressive, in the expressive, in the expressive mode. And I didn't know what I would be. I didn't know what I would do. But I knew that, that, that this idea of being expressive mattered. Mm-hmm. One, of my, one of my earliest memories, I have two early memories. The first early memory mm-hmm. was probably four. Wow. And I was coming down the stairs and I saw all of these particles in the air. The sun was streaming through, breaking through the house, creating these wonderful shafts of, of light. And in the light, I could see all these dust particles. Of course, I didn't know what they were at the time. And I would reach out to them. You know, I would reach out to them and try to grasp them in my hand so that I could eat them. <laughs> right? I mean, that's like the that's first, cute. that's one of the earliest memories I have is coming down the stairs and trying to eat light particles. <laughs> Did you have adults around you that, that noticed that you were different, a thinker? Mm, I'm not really sure. I mean, you know, my mother is a very sensuous woman, you know, a woman who's very aware of herself, aware of her body, aware of things around her. And I think that I learned and picked up a great deal from her sense of sensory, sensory perception of reaching out into the world, of expressing things in the world. And then, of course, there were musicians in my family, all of the all of the many of the, the the men in my family played music, so it was a family that was interested in sound and interested in in expressive culture in some sort of way. So, and I, so I think that you know early on, um, uh, though they didn't, I I wasn't trained in music, but I do think that early on, I was introduced into uh, a group of people who were interested in the the sensual sound and feeling of life around them. They uh, enjoyed the simple things in life? Well, I think that they enjoyed the most important things in life. Right, there you go. There we go. So, so do you find delight in making work? You know, I come to my studio every day. Not like, you know every other day, but I come here every, every day to work. And it is, I think, you know, perhaps my greatest pleasure, you know, so uh, I'm always trying to play catch up with my bills and with paperwork and all those other things that one has to contend with in life. (laughs) But I think ultimately um, it's the work, uh, the creative mode that I'm most interested in, that compels me, that drives me, that excites me about the possibility of, uh, of what is, and then how to engage in 
the possibility of making. And so, you know, I've been making art since, you know, I was very young um, and it has never tired me. You know, I may be exhausted by the end of the day from working, uh, but I come back every day to the studio to work. And as you work, do you think about your audience, who your audience is, or who your audience will be? Sometimes. Not all the time. I mean, I think that in some ways, I think that I'm the first audience. <laughs> because what the subconscious gives you is a, is a key and a map to your own thinking, to your own being, and to your own questions and understanding. And so to a certain extent, I think that, you know, for the most part, I'm the first audience. You know, I'm the first audience to my imagination, to my thinking, and to what it is that I believe needs to be expressed. And since I think of myself, you know, not as an alien, but as fairly normal, I make an assumption that, that I am no different, really, than my audience, for the most part. Mm-hmm. And so I craft ideas, craft material, based on what I believe that I need to see at any given moment. Um, and since that I am assured an audience, because all of us have many of the same basic desires. What do we love? What do we want? What do we need? You know, the only difference is ultimately in how we express those needs and desires. But the primal needs are, are fairly essential. So, so when you're creating, do you draw upon memories from your childhood? Are those memories absorbed into your work? Oh, you know, yes and no. You know, not, not necessarily. It depends on the it, it depends on the work. It depends on what I'm working on at any given at any given moment. You know, if I'm working on a project like family pictures and stories, then absolutely memory plays a huge role in how that work is going to or how that work uh, uh, came into the world, how it materialized, what the what the images were, what the text was, what the music was, how it was installed. All those things become important, um, but but memory I think functions in a, in a in another kind of way, and maybe I won't call it memory. Maybe I'll call it a set of influences. You know, what are you influenced by? And so certain bodies of work come out of sort of notions of memory. Other bodies of work come out of you know something that I really can't describe, and then other bodies of work come out of notions of influence. You know, what are you listening to? What are you reading? You know, uh, what are the dances in the theater that you're seeing? Uh, those pieces have a, a large role to play. The sort of notion of influence or the ideas of influence, I think, are really important not only for me, but, but, I, I, but I would assume for uh, most artists. So your work, there's different series. Are they connected in any way? Well, they're connected because I made them, right? Because they're coming all from a very particular kind of perspective, from a particular person who was raised in a particular way, who saw life in a particular way. And so, you know, if I were to look across the vast expanse of my work, um, you know, I learned a great deal about myself by looking at the work. It tells me what I was concerned with, what I was most interested in what 
with what mattered to me at the moment. And, and, and I think probably my, my job really as the artist is to really get out of the way of the work so that the work can do the work that it needs to do. Mm-hmm. And do you feel that the critics understand your work? Well, you know, sometimes I don't understand my work. <laughs> you know, I've made work. I, you know, I did a project in Africa, maybe in, in 1993 or four, sometime around there. And, uh, you know, I, I was in, uh, in Guinea and Ghana, Mali, and various places like that. And I made all these photographs. And then I came home and I looked at them and I made a selection of things to print, photographs to print, images to print, and, uh, or negatives to print because I'm a photographer. And, um, and it was only maybe, maybe a year or so later that I actually understood what I was doing, you know, and that a part of, you know, the process of being an artist, it's not, you know, it's not necessarily prescriptive. You know, if you're working with the interpretive, if you're working with notions of impression, you know, then it it takes a while to really sort of catch up with yourself, that the subconscious is working in a way that you have to come to understand. Right. What you do know is that you've made the work, right? And that it looks a certain way based on aesthetic values and notions about aesthetics that you've come to grips with and come to bear, and that have come to bear, you know? But the meaning is not always clear. The meaning sometimes only happens much, 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 much later. And that is the thing that I find really remarkable about, about being an artist and learning from your practice and therefore the necessity of always touching your work, of always going back to it, of reviewing it, of reconsidering it. So something that I might have thought was really important in 1990 is, not, uh, is, is really not the work that I think of as being the most important in 2020, right? That my, in, my, my, my interests have changed, right? I documented it, I photographed it, I made pictures, but I wasn't quite sure that at the moment that I was making it, at the moment that I was developing an exhibition, that I needed to use those 30 other images that were on the roll, right? Yes. You know, and so, you know, this morning I was in my, you know, in my dark room looking at material and thinking, how did I overlook this amazing image 30 years ago, right? You know, so you're always learning from the work. The work really teaches you about who you are, what you are, and what's meaningful for you. And a part of the process is catching up with yourself, catching up with your own ideas, catching up with, with the real fundamental nature of self. It's, it's really quite remarkable. What a luxury to be introspective and motivated and being able to look back on your own creations, to rethink your life and to rethink yourself. Absolutely. And to learn about and to learn. To learn about your, 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 your own interests, you know, and then to be able to incorporate that. Mm-hmm. You know, connecting the dots from one thing to the next um, 
is more than a notion. It's difficult. It's really, really difficult. And it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of understanding. And it takes a lot of letting go. A lot of letting go. You know, because we enter most things in our lives in a very prescribed way, right? That I want to do this. My goal is to do that. I want to make this kind of exhibition. I want to have this kind of dialogue, right? But when you let go, when you give it up, when you sort of give it up and you say, what is it? What is it? Speak to me about what I've done and what I've seen and where I've been. Something else happens that is not at all a part of the the goal as you thought that it would be. (laughs) Yeah, it's wonderful. It's wonderful listening to you. It makes me think as I want my listeners to think. So I know one topic that that we're both passionate about is making sure that people are aware and acknowledge female artists who are, um, I guess you could say, our elders. And I'd, I'd love the opportunity for listeners to hear us talk about them. The first one I'd like to consider is Barbara Chase Ribot. Oh, Barbara. Barbara is uh, a work of art in herself and um, an extraordinary mind. Barbara was the first African-American woman to receive the Rome Prize. She was the first African-American woman to graduate from Yale's Department of uh, Design and Architecture. She was the first person to introduce us to the relationship of Sally Hemings and Jefferson through her first novel, Sally Hemings. And she's a remarkable artist and sculptor in her own right. Just a a phenomenal, phenomenal woman. Uh, A great writer, a great poet, a fantastic researcher. You know, a woman who has not been living in this country. I think Barbara left America maybe in the early 70s or early 80s and has been living in Paris ever since, but has really produced a remarkable body of work that people really should know a great deal more about. And the same is true for people like Mary Lovelace O'Neill, who had a recent show that opened in New York City, I think in, uh, at the end of 2019, remarkable abstract painter that very few people know about. The Chinese painter Hung Lu, who's done extraordinary work looking at um, her personal family relationship between looking at the relationship between her family and the cultural revolution in China. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, these are really um, remarkable women, and a, a part of I think. Uh, I think a a part of my work as I see it is not only to be a champion for my own work and my own voice and to figure out ways of amplifying it, but also of of amplifying the voices of these extraordinary uh, women, primarily women of color, who've really been not considered a part of the vanguard, not not necessarily considered a part of the great push and move 
towards modernism, but who have been extraordinary inventors in their own right. Yes, and it's important that we educate and and share them with people. And I will be including links um, so people can read more about them after. Oh, wonderful. Great. Yes, yes, for sure. Uh, Thank you for that. I really appreciate it. I'd, I'd like to ask you how... How would you like your work to impact or change the way we think? Oh, <laughs> it's, you know, it's a, it's a really complicated question. I think that, you know, you know, it takes a long time. It takes a long time, regardless of what it is that you do in the world, whether you are an artist or a banker or, you know, whatever, whatever the profession or the avocation, or the vocation, is that it really takes a while to really understand what it is that you are after, and, and, and to claim it, and to voice it. You know, being able to voice what it is that you want, what it is that you believe, what it is that you know, takes an enormous amount of, 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 of pain, and also an enormous amount of, uh, of courage. And one of the things that I've come to understand about myself from looking at my work, it wasn't something that I completely knew uh, when I was 25 or 30, but I do know as a, you know, as a 67-year-old woman that I wanted to simply have a very serious impact on the field, that I wanted to ask a certain set of questions that were not being asked, that I wanted to bring forth a number of artists that weren't being considered, that I wanted to bring forth uh, a set of, of ideas that weren't being discussed, um, that I really wanted to have a serious impact on the, on the field and the way in which the field would be understood both in the past and in the future. And I think in, in one way or another, when I shake it all out and I shake out all the dust, and I look at the work that I've done, not only the work that I've done in terms of my own production, my own exhibitions and books, and et cetera, but the convenings that I do with other artists, the way that I bring other artists, musicians, dancers, poets, writers, intellectuals together um, is to have this sort of full-fledged, hard-on, you know, dead-on, dialogue about the nature and the power of the art and the importance of multiple voices and what happens when you have a set of multiple voices in a room or in an exhibition or at a convening or at a play or at a performance or at a concert, right? Um, That continues to interest me. It drives me It gets me up in the morning, and often it sends me to bed at night. (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful, especially the fact that you bring all the different types of artists together, not just photographers or painters, but all of the other practices. It's it's wonderful. And we're, we're grateful to have you. And I really appreciate you taking time to spend with us today and to share your insights on things and uh, your insight on life. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And thank you so much for inviting me, Phyllis. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. 
you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.